Good morning, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Sharings with Shama. Uh, today is a beautiful Friday morning, end of April, and I'm sitting in my living room watching Stockholm. And these are the first words that I speak today, so I can feel that my voice is a bit uh, unused. And I want to first of all say thank you to each and every one of you who has been reaching out to me the past past month. And I want to say that I am out of my depression and I'm on a really in a really really good place. And I'm going to share a bit about what happens after. As you know, I shared about how it was inside the depression and. I think I'm going to take like the next episode to share about how is it to to come out of it and how does it feel to have your life joy back and uh, you know what are the uh, the biggest takeaways from from the experience because this time I I'm so grateful that I was so aware of what was happening what was going on so I could take the correct steps and the right measurements and I feel actually quite proud of it that I could get myself in a good place again with help. Okay, today I'm going to share, it's a topic on demand and everyone, not everyone, but many, many, many of you ask, could you please share about your book, A Course in Miracles? And I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that in a, in a, in the easiest way that I can, it's not a, it's not a difficult course, you know. And if you're going to take it, it's because you're kind of called to take it. Uh, yeah, I think you only do it if you feel a calling and you feel this is resonating with you. And for me, I've had this book for, I think, 11 years. I read it at least 10 times. And in the beginning, in the first years, I didn't get much I got little bits and pieces of it, but that was enough to, for me to know that I have something really, really important here in my hands. So I just kept working on it, kept reading it here and there. I took it traveling with me all around the world. So it's been traveling with me. It still travels. <laughs> it was with me in Costa Rica a couple of months ago. It's always with me in Aruba. It's always whenever I travel, unless it's a very short weekend trip. I bring it with me. Uh, it's like a, a Bible or it's like a, it's a resource for me. It's maybe one of my greatest resources because it's, f- it's full packed with love and peace. And uh, to just give you a short background, it was written in 1907. Um, I think it was dictated down uh, at the end of the 60s. And this is how it... So I'm going to read some parts of it, and this is the beginning, how it came. A Course in Miracles began with a sudden decision of two people to join in a common goal. Their names were Helen Schuchman and William Tetford, professors of medical psychology, uh, psychology at Columbia University of uh, University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York. It doesn't matter who they were, except that the story shows that with God, all things are possible. They were anything but spiritual. Their relationship with each other was difficult and often strained, 
and they were concerned with personal and professional acceptance and status. In general, they had considerable investment in the values of the world. Uh, I lowered the volume a little there. Okay. Their lives were hardly in accord with anything that the Course advocates. Helen, the one who received the material, describes herself. I was a psychologist, educator, conservative in theory and atheistic in belief. I was working in a prestigious and highly academic setting. And then something happened that triggered a chain of events I could never have predicted. The head of my department unexpectedly announced that he was tired of the angry and aggressive feelings our attitudes reflected and concluded there must be another way. As if on cue, I agreed to help him find it. Apparently, this course is the other way. Although their intention was serious, they had great difficulty in starting out their joint venture, but they had given the Holy Spirit the little willingness that, as the Course itself was to emphasize again and again, is sufficient to enable him to use any situation for his purpose and provide it with his power. To continue Helen's first-person account, three startling months preceded the actual writing, during which time Bill suggested that I write down the highly symbolic dreams and descriptions of the strange images that were coming to me. Although I had grown more accustomed to the unexpected by that time, I was still very surprised when I wrote, This is a Course in Miracles. That was my introduction to the voice. It made no sound, but seemed to be giving me a kind of rapid inner dictation, which I took down in a shorthand notebook. The writing was never automatic, It could be interrupted at any time and later picked up again. It made me very uncomfortable, but it never seriously occurred to me to stop. It seemed to be a special assignment I had somehow, somewhere agreed to complete. It represented a truly collaborative venture between Bill and myself, and much of its significance, I am sure, lies in this collaboration. I would take down what the voice said and read it to him the next day, and he typed it from my dictation. I expect he had his special assignment too. Without his encouragement and support, I would never have been able to fulfill mine. The whole process took about seven years. The text came first, then the workbook for students, and finally the manual for teachers. Only a few minor changes have been made. Chapter titles and subheadings have been inserted, and some of the more personal references that occurred at the beginning have been removed. Otherwise, the material is substantially unchanged. And the persons who wrote this and who had it dictated, they are not even mentioned in the book, uh, because that's not significant. And when I read this, and I understand, it took seven years for this book to, to you know, to be dictated down. So she had heard a voice, and she just wrote it down, and then she read it out loud to her colleague. And they were not, in, you know, uh, in a good place before the course came to them. They were arguing, having big struggles, and now they just did this. 
they somehow understood that, okay, there must be another way, and this was the way. And for me, uh, the preface, uh, I'm just going to read the preface for you. So uh, you can take this as meditation or because I feel that the preface has almost the whole course in it. So if you don't want to read the whole book that is like 700 pages or something, and it's on the thinnest, thinnest, like per, it's called pergament. I don't know if it's the same in English, like the Egyptians wrote on the thin, thin paper. It's the same uh, thickness or lack of thickness on the pages. Okay, are you ready for like... It's a few pages only, but they are very, very significant. And I think they summarize the whole Course in Miracles in a way. It begins like this. What it is, as its title implies, the Course is arranged throughout uh, as a teaching advice. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was wrong. Disregard that. I should have turned the page. So this is page 10 in the preface. And it begins like this, what it says. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. This is how A Course in Miracles begin. It makes a fundamental distinction between the real and the unreal, between knowledge and perception. Knowledge is truth under one law, the law of love or God. Truth is unalterable, eternal and unambiguous. It can be unrecognized, but it cannot be changed. It applies to everything that God created and only what he created is real. It is beyond learning because it is beyond time and process. It has no opposite, no beginning and no end. It merely is. The world of perception, on the other hand, is the world of time, of change, of beginnings and endings. It is based on interpretation, not on facts. It is the world of birth and death, founded on the belief in scarcity, loss, separation and death. It is learned rather than given, selective in its perceptual emphasis, unstable in its functioning, and inaccurate in its interpretations. From knowledge and perception, respectively, two distinct thought systems arise, which are opposite in every respect. In the realm of knowledge, no thoughts exist apart from God, because God and his creation share one will. The world of perception, however, is made by the belief in opposites and separate wills in perpetual conflict with each other and with God. What perception sees and hears appears to be real because it permits into awareness only what conforms to the wishes of the receiver, of, sorry, of the perceiver. This leads to a world of illusions a world which needs constant defense precisely because it isn't real. When you have been caught in the world of perception, you are caught in a dream. 
You cannot ex escape without help, because everything your senses show merely witnesses to the reality of the dream. God has provided the answer, the only way out, the true helper. It is the function of his voice, his Holy Spirit, to mediate between the two worlds. He can do this because, while on the, other, on the one hand he knows the truth, on the other hand he also recognizes our illusions, but without believing in them. It is the Holy Spirit's goal to help us escape from the dream world by teaching us how to reverse our thinking and unlearn our mistakes. Forgiveness is the Holy Spirit's great learning aid in bringing this thought reversal about. However, the Course has its own definition of what forgiveness really is, just, just as it defines the world in its own way. The world we see merely reflects our own internal frame of reference, the dominant ideas, wishes and emotions in our minds. Projection makes perception. We look inside first, decide the kind of world we want to see, and then project the world outside, making it the truth as we see it. We make it true by our interpretations of what it is we are seeing. If we are using perception to justify our own mistakes, our anger, our impulses to attack, our lack of love in whatever form it may take, we will see a world of evil, destruction, malice, envy and despair. All this we must learn to forgive, not because we are good or charitable, but because what we are seeing is not true. We have distorted the world by our twisted defenses and are therefore seeing what is not there. As we learn to recognize our perceptual errors, we learn, also learn to look past them or forgive. At the same time, we are forgiving ourselves, looking past our distorted self-concepts to the self that God created in us and as us. Sin is defined as lack of love. Since love is all there is, sin in the sight of the Holy Spirit is a mistake to be corrected rather than an evil to be punished. Our sense of inadequacy, weakness and incompletion comes from the strong investment in the scarcity principle that governs the whole world of illusions. From that point of view, we seek in others what we feel is wanting in ourselves. We love another in order to get something ourselves. That, in fact, is what passes for love in the dream world. There can be no greater mistake than that, for love is incapable of asking for anything. Only minds can really join, and whom God has joined, no man can put asunder. It is, however, only at the level of Christ's mind that true union is possible, and has, in fact, never been lost. The little I seeks to enhance itself by external approval, external possessions and external love. The self that God created needs nothing. It is forever complete, safe, loved and loving. It seeks to share rather than to get, to extend rather than project. 
It has no needs and wants to join with others out of their mutual awareness of abundance. The special relationships of the world are destructive, selfish and childishly egocentric. Yet, if given to the Holy Spirit, these relationships can become the holiest things on earth, the miracles that point the way to the return to heaven. The world uses its special relationships as a final weapon of exclusion and a demonstration of separateness. The Holy Spirit transforms them into perfect lessons in forgiveness and in awakening from the dream. Each one is an opportunity to let perceptions be healed and errors corrected. Each one is another chance to forgive oneself by forgiving the other. And each one becomes still another invitation to the Holy Spirit and to the remembrance of God. Perception is a function of the body and therefore represent the limit of, on awareness. Perception sees through the body's eyes and hears through the body's ears. It evokes the limited responses which the body makes. The body appears to be largely self-motivated and independent, yet it actually responds only to the intentions of the mind. If the mind wants to use the body for attack in any form, it becomes prey to sickness, age and decay. If the man, mind accepts the Holy Spirit's purpose for it instead, it becomes a useful way of communicating with others, invulnerable as long as it is needed, and to be gently laid by when its use is over. Of itself, it is neutral, as is everything in the world of perception. Whether it is used for the goals of the ego or the Holy Spirit depends entirely on what the mind wants. The opposite of seeing through the body's eyes is the vision of Christ, which reflects strength rather than weakness, unity rather than separation, and love rather than fear. The opposite of hearing through the body's ears is communication through the voice for God, the Holy Spirit, which abides in each of us. His voice seems distant and difficult to hear because the ego, which speaks for the little separated self, seems to uh, be much louder. This is actually reversed. The Holy Spirit speaks with unmistakable clarity and overwhelming appeal. No one who does not choose to identify with the body could possibly be deaf to his messages of release and hope, nor could he fail to accept joyously the vision of Christ in glad exchange for his miserable picture of himself. Christ's vision is the Holy Spirit's gift, God's alternative to the illusion of separation and to the belief in the reality of sin, guilt and death. It is the one correction for all errors of perception, the reconciliation of the seeming opposites on which this world is based. Its kindly light shows all things from another point of view, reflecting the thought system that arises from knowledge and making return to God not only possible but inevitable. What was regarded as injustices done to one by someone else now becomes a call for help and union. Sin, sickness and attack are seen as misperceptions calling for remedy through gentleness and love. 
Defenses are laid down because where there is no attack, there is no need for them. Our brother's needs become our own because they are taking the journey with us as we go to God. Without us, they would lose their way. Without them, we could never ever find our own way. Forgiveness is unknown in heaven, where the need for it would be inconceivable. However, in this world, forgiveness is a necessary correction for all the mistakes that we have made. To offer forgiveness is the only way for us to have it, for it reflects the law of heaven that giving and receiving are the same. Heaven is the natural state of all the sons of God as he created them. Such is their reality forever. It has not changed because it has been forgotten. Forgiveness is the means by which we will remember. Through forgiveness, the thinking of the world is reversed. The forgiven world becomes the gate of heaven because by its mercy we can at at last forgive ourselves. Holding no one prisoner to guilt, we become free. Acknowledging Christ in all our brothers, we recognize his presence in ourselves. Forgetting all our misperceptions and with nothing from the past to hold us back, we can remember God. Beyond this, learning cannot go. When we are ready, God himself will take the final step in our return to him. These are like one, two, three, four. I think it's like four pages in this almost 1,000 pages book. And it says so much. Uh, I know that when I when I get lost, I just go back to the preface and and I read it, and I kind of yeah, okay, this is the way. This is the way. So the course in miracles. Uh, sorry, I need to take a little tea. <clears throat> it's really really hard to read this much out loud. But I'm thinking since I get so many questions about this book and and if you're he- hesitating to, to buy it and, and, and read it, I just say buy it and keep it on your bedside table and put your hand on it at times and just be willing to, to open it and things will happen because that... That's all we need. That's all we need in every, in every, what should I say, obstacle. We need a little willingness, you know, for something else. So what does it say? I think that this beginning, nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. For me, this sentence is like, okay, I, oh, it's... It's like I relax so much when I hear it, like nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. Okay, so we're all good. Everything is good. We are all good because nothing unreal exists and nothing real can be threatened. And I just feel this huge relaxation. And it's interesting. I'm really welcoming your comments that if you get it or... If you feel like, I don't understand anything of this. And 
This fundamental distinction between the real and the unreal, between knowledge and perception, and that knowledge is truth, and it's under the law of love or God, and it cannot be changed. You know, truth is what it is. It's eternal. That's just what it is. And that's like one world. It's the world of God and love, knowledge and truth. And it cannot be changed. It is what it is. That's the real world. And then we have the world of perception. And that's the world that we live in. This is the world of illusion, you know. This is the world of uh, attack and guilt and, and pain and fear and blame. And, and the way we look at the world is how our internal frame is like projected. So projection makes perception. I think that this is like really so interesting. From these two worlds, there are different thought systems. When one is with God that nothing except outside. And one is that, uh, you know, what everyone perceives is an external world. It's a world of... We have one illusion each because we live according to our own, you know, little eye or ego. And... It's like we can choose between this. When, when I understood that, oh, it's actually quite simple. It's real or unreal. It's knowledge and truth or it's illusion and perception and, you know, it's not real. I can choose. Where do I want to be? Do I want to perceive, you know, do I want to be in the real world where nothing can be changed, nothing can be threatened and... Only love and God is like ruling that world. Or do I want to live in the world where everything changes every second and everyone's mind, you know, is projecting things outside and we are attacking each other and we are blaming each other and we are, you know, there's so much negativity and the lack of goodness in that world. And I realized that I can choose. Every day I can choose, good or bad. And when I say good or bad, it's like real or unreal. So whenever I come into a situation when I feel like, wow, this sucks. This totally sucks. Fuck. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, what's the matter with these people? And then I can just feel that, okay, they're so caught up in their you know, perceptions of the world. And this world is like, as it says, it's the scarcity principle that there's not enough and we need to, you know, it's a world of evil, destruction, it's lack of love, it's envy and despair. And to re realize that this world is kind of run by the scarcity principle, the whole world of illusion, And it's also interesting that love in that world is actually wanting something from the other. That's, you know, <laughs> and I can so see it. That's the kind of love I have been very used to for someone else to add value to me 
because I was lacking, you know, based on the scarcity principle, I chose men who had something like an attribute that I I desired. <clears throat> and I can see it's super easy to live in that world forever without knowing it, to just be born, raised, live and believe that we are run by bodies, you know, how we look and how we walk and talk and act and and that's the way. Or we can just wake up and say, okay. So if truth and knowledge and God and love is what is real, what am I doing here? What is all of this? Depression, for example... I mean, on one hand, I can say, okay, Shama, what you are experiencing now is not real. This is not who you are, you know. This is not your essence. You are in an extreme pain, and it's not real. That doesn't mean that my understanding of it doesn't mean that it's easier for me to get out of it. And at the same time, I can say that to take the decision to to start with medicine. That's not my decision. You know, I asked for help, and this was the help I received. So in the world of of God and love and truth and knowledge, we're not supposed to struggle and be in pain and suffer, you know. So if there is help that makes us happy and joyful and loving again, of course, that is also of God. So for me, the kind of man-made solutions are not in conflict with the real world. It's just AIDS, you know. Uh, It's helping me to be myself, you know, to, to be on the loving side, on the on the bright side, on the caring side, to be with God. I can just feel that the depression is like the the ego when it is, you know, maybe the strongest because the illusion is so, so big uh, that I am nobody, that I'm worthless. I can really see that that, uh, a depression is really, really my ego in the, you know, its strongest power. And I... It's interesting to put all the things that happen in my human life and and kind of bounce it to Course in Miracles and just turn it around. The conflicts I have, for example, is really like uh, that guilt, uh, you know, and um, I'm going to have this... um, That if we believe in attack and, you know, uh, defense, that this is the ego defending itself. But on the loving side, when we are with God, there is nothing to defend because attack is not possible. I cannot be threatened because the real me cannot be threatened. Nothing real can be threatened. 
and nothing unreal exists. And everything, according to the Course, that isn't loving, everything that is like an attack or, you know, uh, is a calling for love. So if it isn't love, it's a call for love. And to understand that, that every negative action, you know, when you are hurt or when you are like betrayed or anything, you can just see that that is not real. It's it's in the world of illusion. Everything that happens in our conflict is always in the world of illusion. And the sin that we want to project on our friends and, and spouses and kids and parents and so on, according to Course in Miracles, there is no sin. And we are without guilt. And sin is only mistakes that are to be corrected. And that's like what the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is like a mediator between God and us because the gap is too too long. So so the, the, the I told you that I hear voices. All of a sudden I can hear a voice saying something and I'm like, oh, Jesus. And that's kind of the Holy Spirit talking to me, guiding me. And the more willing I am to live my life like this, you know, the only thing that is needed is my willingness. And I'm like, okay, I'm a a human being. I've made so many mistakes. But to, to kind of remove the guilt from myself, it's not difficult, you know, because in, in truth, there is no sin and no one is guilty. There are merely mistakes to be corrected. And the correction of the mistakes is f- through forgiveness. And I just feel like that. To always forgive, to realize that every mistake is actually forgiving before it ever happened. You know, because we're human, we're going to make mistakes. And that doesn't make us evil. If we want to believe in that, we live in the world of illusion. And I've decided I don't want to do it. So people, we fuck up every day. Some of us more, some of us less. And if we realize that we can always, you know, I mean, to to just as soon as it happens realize our mistakes or the other one's mistakes and forgive the sooner we get back to the real world the loving world the less consequences so we can always kind of all we need is this little willingness for another way and it's so for me the course in miracles is it's so so easy It's like we have the world of illusion and in this world we live. And we have like seven billion, I don't know, are we five, six, seven? I don't know how many people we are on the planet. But we have this many illusions going on at the same time. So of course we are in conflict with each other. Of course we are at war with each other because we are not living in the real world we are living in the projected world from our inside out you know 
And I can I can just feel that the more we attune to, I think it's a really good idea to just feel like, okay, this is not real. There is a real world of love and truth and knowledge, you know, where where we are perfect and there is no sin and no one is guilty. And we are all equal. There is no specialness, you know. Specialness in the Course in Miracles is just a way for the ego to separate itself. So in the world of illusion, there is also the world of separation, of course. In the world of God and love, there is unity and equality. And I can just feel that, hey, where do I want to be? And for me, it's so easy to say, I want to be with God. Even though I'm born atheist, and it kind of warms my heart to realize that Helen, who got this dictated, she was an atheist too. She didn't believe either. And I have points in my daily life when I'm not like a believer, when I lose faith, when I'm depressed, I lose faith. And still, there was a little voice inside of me who said, Shama, I think you need to begin to medicate again. I think that is the voice, you know. I think that's the Holy Spirit. We have all these man-made tools and, you know, things and help and aid and what we can do to be better and live better. And and for me, this was the way. And I feel that everything that makes me more at peace, you know, uh, more trusting, more loving, more happy, more joyful you know, less guilty is of God. Of course, of course. It's like, to me, when I read The Course in Miracles, life becomes so much easier. And I think it, it is also because I, I am born a true atheist, you know. There is no God. And to kind of have this, because this book is miraculous, it's really weird, it's really like whenever you turn the page, it's like no man could have written this. It's just too too much, it's just too too true, <laughs> it's too loving, it's too, too real, you know, so I can just feel like... I I just get it by reading it. I just get it that this is not a man-made work. And that also brings me uh, a lot of curiosity and joy. And I feel there are some, some passages in A Course in Miracles that took me maybe seven, eight years to get. And there are still some passages that I don't get. I'm beginning now like to, to, to understand the atonement. I struggled with that for five, six years, seven. I think many times because there isn't a good Swedish translation. I've been looking, looking, looking for years for a good translation of atonement. And just the other week I read at one, you know, at one man. Okay, 
So it's like, okay, the unity, okay, coming back to God, unity. And I still don't really, really get it, but I'm thinking, okay, just relax. It's going to click <laughs> at some point. And uh, I can also say that it's so interesting when I read, like, forgiveness is unknown in heaven because there is no need for it. So there are many, like, human aids that we are learning in the Course of Miracles that is not needed in heaven because, you know, everything is, is okay. So all these corrections of mistakes, for example, in the, in, in the real world there are no mistakes, so there's no need for correction. But here it's needed, forgiveness is needed, you know, there are work needed, you know, to change our perception. Uh, it's not like it can. It, it, and it also says, the time you take the course is up to you. It's going to be what it's going to be, and how you read it is also up to you. If you read this part first or after, it's also you're going to take it in the time and place and you know way that it's needed for you. And for me to be, you know, I love my freedom. I love this. I loved it. There's so much with this book that really talks to me. Okay, I'm going to turn pages, pages, pages and see. <clears throat> it's like 666, seven, 700 page, pages. And chapter one is, I'm not going to read the full of it, but I'm going to read a few things and it says, The Meaning of Miracles. And first comes principles of miracles. One, there is no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. Miracles, number six. Miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Three, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. The real miracle is the love that inspires them. In this sense, everything that comes from love is a miracle. Isn't that beautiful? Eight, miracles are healing because they supply a lack. They are performed by those who temporarily have more for those who temporarily have less. Nine, miracles are a kind of exchange. Like all expressions of love, which are always miraculous in the true sense, the exchange reverses the physical laws. They bring more love, both to the giver and the receiver. I think this is so beautiful. So the first chapter is actually, it's about principles of miracles. And they are many. They are like 50 different principles of miracles. Miracles, number 33. Miracles honor you because you are lovable. They dispel illusions about yourself and perceive the light in you. They thus atone for your errors by freeing you from your nightmares, by releasing your mind from the imprisonment of your illusions. They restore your sanity. 
For me, this number 33, there is so much love in this. There is so much love in this, you know. It's like a full forgiveness. Uh, they honor you. Miracles honor you because you're lovable. They atone for your errors. So to understand that everything, you know, miracles is, is like... Number 26, miracles represent freedom from fear. Atoning means undoing. The undoing of fear is an essential part of the atonement value of miracles. Miracles is like, to, to just, I feel like, you know, to be a kind of, because what happens is that you become, you become a teacher. You teach other people about this, about the real world, about love, about the lack of sin and guilt, you know, about errors and how they can be corrected and forgiven. You know, you become a teacher in your sense when you begin to read this book. Uh, so you are a teacher of God, in a way. I am a teacher of God. We are all teachers, and we are all pupils. And this is also so, so like, there is no teacher unless there are pupils. And it's always like, uh, sometimes I am a pupil, and sometimes I'm a teacher. We are all it. It's just that we take this on somehow. I think that... Just as Helen got this dictated, I think us who feel that this resonates with me and I want to really dig into this book and get it and kind of begin to live according to these principles and uh, life is going to change. It's inevitable. You know, life is going to change. There is like... Um, there's so much knowledge and truth between these pages there is so much goodness there is so much love and uh, I haven't read the Bible um, but I'm very curious to do it I am uh, I'm feeling that this this part of life the real the real life you know the life of truth and knowledge and love and God. Uh, when we are equal and united and... Uh, I think that uh, to cultivate and to, to live more and more and more in the real world is what I want. I have a great willingness for that. A great willingness... And um, I know that whenever, whenever I feel like, uh, you know, in my, in my depression, I read my book every day, you know, uh, to, to, to give me some peace, you know, even though I was totally st stuck in the world of illusion, I was totally stuck in the world of how useless I was and how unlovable I was and, 
you know, uh, I was totally stuck there and I kept reading. And I think that kind of kept me afloat when it was the most difficult because I really feel that uh, this book brings me always something. It's like, and I can open the book at any page and I just feel like, okay, it brings me back my sanity somehow. And I think that also in the in the world of illusion and fear and uh, there's a lot of... Uh, insanity so I think that to kind of even though you don't believe in God even though you feel like this is fucking bullshit to just open up and and say that maybe you are willing you know add some willingness to your unbelief <laughs> to say and uh, you know, the first time that God or the Holy Spirit spoke to me was during a meditation. I was crawling on the floor with Germans and, uh, and English-speaking people. And I asked God, why have you deserted me? And I don't even know why I asked it, because I w didn't believe in him. And I asked it in Sweden, Swedish, and he answered in Swedish and said, I never uh, deserted you. You just haven't seen me. And, uh, and I know that since then, 2007, since then, something changed in me. I began to hear this voice and uh, I began to listen to this voice more. And I can also say I have a very, very dear person. He lives in the, in the States, in Miami. And him and I, we have a, we have a communication we have a way to communicate that is, you know, not of, of this world. It's absolutely not of, in the world of illusion and, and fear. And, and in the middle of this corona crisis, I can so see when him and I are in the world of illusion and fear and we are like cutting each other off and shutting down our hearts and we are really kind of dismantling our love like tuk, 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 tuk. and then all of a sudden like this Wednesday all of a sudden I'm just I'm just sitting and I just feel like what the fuck is this what is happening right now what is happening is he outside my door is he gonna ring the bell what is where where is he and I'm just feeling this presence you know, I feel his presence in my home, in my my body, in my, you know, in, in Stockholm. And I just feel his presence so much. And I just text him and I said, I know right now you have me in your heart and mind. I just know it. And he answers me immediately. And he says, I've never been closer. It's just like I'm meditating and I'm literally, you know, I'm one with you. And I just know it and I feel that, okay, these abilities that I think come in the world of, you know, God. I have a friend, and an, another friend that I never met, an Instagram friend, Renee, that is, she's such an amazing person. And I feel so connected to her and she has lifted me up so many times. 
it's like on cue, you know. It's like she's an um, and she is a true, true, true uh, messenger, a guide, an angel, uh, and uh, I learned so much from her, and I've just been given her in my life through Instagram, and these two connections that I feel like are not. Words are not needed and there's something bigger and deeper and I just feel like, okay, it's because they also believe in something bigger, uh, in God or the universe and the unity and equality and um, there is like so much wisdom gathered in these two human beings and I just feel so blessed that I have been connected and united and and I feel I want to cultivate this, you know, I want to cultivate the way how we communicate, how things are in the real world when there is only love and no fear and there are open hearts and and we don't even have to speak with each other and we are one with people that we may not, some people, it's also so interesting I feel a oneness with people that I don't even like. I feel such oneness with some people that I actually dislike. And I'm thinking that, okay, this is also proof that this is, in in my world of, you know, projections and perceptions, I just want to say fuck off to these people and just remove them from my life. But that's not the point, you know. That's not what's intended. I, I also realize that I have people in my life who are not of this amazing connection, goodness, loving connection that I feel oneness. And so I also have people I dislike that I feel this amazing connection and oneness with. And I realize that we are actually equal. It's not what I think about people is not about, you know, my physical love for people. It's about the truth or the illusion. It's about love and what's eternal or it's about my perceptions. And I've decided I'm going to live more and more and more according to what's real. So, I don't know if this brings you something... I think what I've tried to do is to make you curious enough to buy the book because I feel that the more we are who are kind of adopting to live our lives according to the real world instead of the illusions, I think the better our world will be, of course. More love, you know, less fear, less pain, less suffering less conflicts so this book is there are there are many uh, different you know there are many translations if I could recommend I would totally recommend to buy the original one the American one it's heavy I think it weighs more than one kilo um, it has the the measurements wait can I? Yeah, I'm going to measure it because that's important. Sorry, it's going to be a bit noisy. Wait, 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 wait. Can I? Yeah. 
Sorry, sorry, I can't. My kids took all the rulers. Uh, that was that was sad. So it's about half an A4. What that is? Okay. Whatever. It's big. It's not a pocket version. It's a bigger version. It has soft cover. And uh, is the combined version. I'm going to post it also. It's available on Amazon, but I also know they have a small, tiny version. But the text is so tiny, 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 tiny. So if you want to have a smaller travel copy, maybe I will buy one actually. But I love this big one. I love this, like, it's a big, fat Bible. And uh, I would not recommend you to buy a translated version because the essence for sure is lost. No matter how good translators are, the essence in the English version is, is the essence. So I would recommend you to buy this one and just begin a little, you know, and, and see where it brings you and share it with your with your people and uh, and also of course uh, share with me mm -hmm. I'm very very curious to, to hear what you I, I already have quite a few friends who have bought it and and started and uh, and as always uh, send me an email if you want to connect with me with the subject podcast uh, you can also I have been really really bad at answering direct messages on Instagram the last days I'm in recovery you know I think the next episode is going to be about recovery because recovery is not only about addiction recovery is about a lot and I'm in a in a really big recovery and I'm taking my time, so if I don't answer your direct messages, I hope I will soon. Uh, I just can't push myself to do things at the moment, okay? But please, please keep sharing and send me your voice. I really, really love it. And uh, wherever you are at, I hope you are at peace. I know these are difficult times, the corona times, we're still in them. And wherever you are at, I hope you're at peace. And to use a cliche, but this too will pass. It's inevitable. And I'm thinking, is corona real? You know, is this the world of illusion? Is it real? The fear for sure is not real. I think corona is very interesting to watch uh, according to A Course in Miracles really see what's real you know I think to be honest that the essence of it all is kind of floating up to the surface that we are becoming more real that the life we live become more real after okay I wish you a lovely day and I love you Puss. <laughs>